And we actually kind of conceptualize holiness as, well, I'll stay away from them. But that's not the pattern that Jesus gives us. I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. The Hopper Podcast is not professional advice, just two guys spitballing. So do your own research. Well, let's see. I uh, I teach sociology at Covenant College, which is uh, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. And I have actually been at the college for a long time. I, I grew up in Southern Ontario and I actually huh. came uh, to college as a sophomore. I went a year at Redeemer College and came down in 1987. And I really have just stayed ever since. I've worked at the college in one form or another since 1990 when I graduated. And I got married when I was down here after mm-hmm. college. My wife's name is Joan and we live uh, on this little 10 acre plot. Um, nice. Actually in the same same as I was in high school. I have a couple of rescue horses and, you know, 10 wow. acres, a few chickens and, yeah. you know, so it's nothing too exciting, but it's exciting enough for me. Yeah. Sounds great. So, uh, you know, Canada was, was insufficient. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, <laughs> before, I actually drove a motorcycle from Ontario, uh, you know, to get to college down here and, mm never really thought a thing about it. And now the thought of my kids driving a motorcycle, even like a mile on right. the road is frightening. Right. So <laughs> here I am. So yeah. You're a professor of sociology there at Lookout Mountain. You've been doing that yep. for a long time now. I have. Yeah. And you've, yeah. you've written a book here recently. Yes. Uh, Strangers and scapegoats extending God's welcome to those in the margins. It kind of, you know, I look back and people say, well, when do you start writing it? you know, probably 20 years ago, <laughs> like maybe a lot of books start that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I guess I just started thinking that in sociology, one of the main questions, um, you know, aside from sort of the technical things you learn about research methods and so forth, but sociologists are focused on identifying the stranger and bringing some of their hurt or alienation or marginality to public expression and trying to address it. And we find strangers in areas of social class, race, Mm-hmm. and gender and then that matches i've long thought rather nicely with the galatians I think it's galatians 323 and following in christ there's neither slave nor free and Jew nor greek male nor female i'm reversing those but mm-hmm. you know there you have it race class and gender and so i you know i i started just noticing these sorts of things that a lot of what i was dealing with in the classroom teaching sociological theory or teaching a class on gender, or I teach sociology of sport, I teach all kinds of things, is is really, you know, at the end of the day, kind of the question of, well, who's the stranger in here? And, and then, I, you know, that starts to layer over how I read the Bible, uh, you know, the, the narrative arc of scripture and all of these images of the Israelites being commanded to love the stranger when they come into the promised land. And then Jesus just you know, I, I, I've, I've heard things all my life like God cannot abide sin. And then you see Jesus kind of actively seeking out these people deemed sinful and drawing them in and not faced by the fact that the community rejects them. And that's compelling to me. And for me, it fits really nicely with a lot of things that I think sociology in a non-theistic kind of way tries to say. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, what does it mean to, for, for uh, how can I say, I'm, I'm curious if you could give us um, some sociological um, 
lessons that apply to the Bible the way that you're talking about. Because you're right, the Bible talks about how we're, you know, sinners are supposed to be cast out and yet also welcomed in. And that, uh, what does sociology have to teach us about those kinds of things? Well, let's see. I mean, you know, sociology, uh, in many ways, I tell my students to try to learn it differently than you would learn history. Um, history has a lot of narrative and sociology thinks of itself as a science. So it's kind of a strange science, but it deals with the conceptual. So we have concepts like anomie, which is a sense of normlessness. Um, let me think that might be a good example. Um, let's say, okay, let's say that um, we have new freshmen coming into the college, um, you know, initially. Uh, and, you know, they've, they've been in their parents' homes their whole lives and, you know, the parents drop them off and then their parents are speeding away from the college to turn their room into a den or whatever. And that's what I'm planning to do when my, when my son leaves <laughs> for sure. Know, yeah. Yeah. That too. works. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, you know, you have that sort of situation and then we see freshmen do all kinds of crazy things, act out in crazy ways. And you might think, Hmm, you know, they're doing something because of their sinful natures. And maybe that's true. But the sociologist looks at that and says, I think they're actually doing something because they had an abrupt shift of norms. You know, they went from this where they're in their parents' house and they have a curfew, they have a community surrounding them to something where it's just like, figure it out. Here it is. You can do a lot of things that you couldn't do before. Mm -hmm. And the change happens overnight. And people actually can't handle that because it's a way of kind of being divorced from the community. Right. They're not regulated by the community. They're not integrated into the community. And so we might sort of see them as, well, you need to take your life seriously. You need to get right with God and shape up your behavior. But the sociologist might say, sure, all that's true. But probably what we're seeing here is actually something that's a result of actually being outside of the important integration with a community and regulatory power of a community. And once they settle in, things will get a little bit better. And so I will tell my students, for example, um, that they may do some crazy things in college. That's not all that unusual. But I, their 54-year-old uh, sociology professor, probably won't. Why? Because I'm completely, you know, th there are a lot of things I'm allowed to do. We're a dry campus. I can drink if I want to. They can't. And a lot of things that they um, would see me as having all this freedom my freedom works because I'm completely restricted by the communities I live in. In other words, to be free is actually to be bound over to a community in kind of an odd way. Um, and so I tell them, you know, tonight I'll go home, watch a third rate animated film with one of my kids, sit around while you're out clubbing or whatever it is you do. We kind of joke about that. But I'm very unlikely to go and do things like drink and drive or, you know, just, you know, do something that gets me in trouble. Why? Oh, because I would never want my wife to be ashamed of what I had done. I would never want to lose face in my church. So in a way, all of us sort of have this potential to do all kinds of stuff, but we're held in by communities. And so when I look at that, that to me fits with some of the things we see in the Bible about community being bound over to community, because we quite literally can't regulate our own behavior, can't mm -hmm. live properly without being in that community, who would I be if my wife didn't regulate my behavior and the school I work for and my church and right. you know, even you? Um, and so, you know, 
I, I think in some ways that concept of anime normlessness, rather than simply saying, oh, that's a bad person. Oh, have they experienced an abrupt shift in norms? And maybe can we explain it that way? Yeah. And in that way, it helps us to understand sociology always understand the larger picture and that moves us away from see, seeing people as good or bad um you know right or wrong mm-hmm. and, and it it provides more gray area and that makes people feel uncomfortable but i don't know that's kind of some of the stuff sociology does yeah and so you go off to college and and your normal uh patterns and routines and relationships have all been altered and then there's a new normal right of of all these other young people trying to mm-hmm. experience life and uh, mm-hmm. want you to participate in that. And you, it, of course, there's going to be a lot of pressure to make big life decisions on the spot, right? And you, mm-hmm. you're wanting to fit in. And you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I, I, uh, as I read your book that I found fascinating uh, was the double-edged sword of what you're talking about, where yeah. you need you need community, you need identity, you need those norms, you need that structure. Um, but they inherently create stranger. Um, and that, that's just a, a fascinating thing, right? I mean, I, I, we've talked yeah. on this podcast about the, you know, the experiment where they took a, a room full of people and they divided them to strangers. They gave them uh, one side red shirts and the other side blue shirts, and they, they right. artificially created a tribalism over nothing, right? And how mm-hmm. easily done that is. Um, oh, yeah. How, how natural and, and, you know, and, and an evolutionist would argue uh, the reasons for that, you know, in terms of survival. And, um, and here you are saying that, that, that normalcy is important. It's valuable. It has, you know, but it, it also creates stranger. So that's a, you want yeah. to talk more about that? It's a very interesting part of the book. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Um, I think one of the experiments I talk about is one of those kind of minimal paradigm experiments, uh, the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment by Jane Elliott. So they have, you know, what, third graders or something like that. And she says, well, the blue-eyed kids are the better kids. And she tells them all this stuff and I think gives them, you know, some sort of symbol like a collar or something, Uh gives them lunch privileges. And I mean, within minutes, these kids are lording over the other kids. And the other kids, like at lunch, they look like they're standing on a communist bread line. It's like an hour later. (laughs) Where did we go? Exactly. It's like, where did we go? And then the next day, she reverses it. And they even know what's going on. And it doesn't happen to quite as great extent. But it still happens. It still happens, yeah. And look at us in sports. I mean, we do this in sports. Us and them. So you're right. Like, um, you, you know, I teach sociology sport. And you know, school spirit and, you know, this, you know, this matter of being in sports. But then I'm always thinking, but what does it mean? Like say in a high school, when our Christian high school rises up and just, you know, glee when some poor child on the other team makes a devastating mistake that embarrasses them and we win. And we're like, yeah, you know, the in group, the school spirit is good. You know, it's good to have that kind of bonding. How else do you get it? On the other hand, what about the other? Yeah. The, the image of God upon the rest right. of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, 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 the challenge here, I think about like a church, you know, you, um, a church is a smaller subset of community, right? We have, we yeah. have not only civil laws of our, our nation and all that, but there are ceremonial laws. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a style of worship. There's a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a a certain liturgy to your services and all that kind of thing. It takes on its own personality. And so it really is um, creating stronger norms and, and restrictions in that way. And then, you know, I want new perspective. I want, I want the challenge to, um, to theology that will come from, from African-Americans, from, uh, from the poor, from, Mm -hmm. 
immigrants and refugees. I want that integrated into, and I pursue that on my own, right? Yeah. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I can't have people come in and change our theology entirely, right? Or right. Or uh, up up in the the structures that we have, and so it's it's yeah. it's all kind of threading needles. It's all it seems very delicate. It seems like it, it, it it's push and pull. And that's the rub, isn't it? Because on the one hand, if you are this sort of insular in group, that can become really ugly as a church because right. it it works around the logic of what it means to be evangelical, the people of the good news. But the good news is for us, and um, you'll have our guns tucked in here in case you get too close. Right. And, and so that's a problem for a church that can't be vulnerable to reach out to people sort of deemed pariahs, right. which Jesus seemed quite intent on reaching out to, despite the feelings of right. the religion. Insiders. And we call it ingrown, right? It's a, yeah, it's a negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 if you you know if you invite people in, if you invite people in, like for example, you know my church is mostly white, PCA church, and so if we invite African Americans in because we want diversity, let's say, but then the idea is that you come in and be just like us, that's inviting people to a settled monologue, you know, yeah, to a settled right. monologue. And it, it doesn't involve it's disingenuous, any risk, right? and we can't learn anything. Right. Yeah. Oh, one, one just quick, um, I, I think you'll, you'll find this interesting. During COVID, when everybody is sort of sequestered and, you know, wiping off individual cans of soup that they yeah. got from the grocery yeah. and stuff, we did all that too. Yeah. Um, we have a friend um, who's retired and he and his, uh, well, two friends, he and she, uh, they're married couple, live in Florida. And they had this little you know, Friday night Zoom group that they led. And it was exactly an hour. Most of the folk on there are older than us, number of retired people. And they invited us to join because, you know, we'd been friends from when he taught in Chattanooga. And we joined it. And it's not only Christian people. We have um, at least one atheist couple in the group. Um, He's a retired psychologist. And it's kind of funny because all my life I've been taught to frame atheists as, you know, when the Christian discusses with an atheist and you're trying to prove to them, they're the out group. Mm-hmm. And through being involved in this group, I love these people. Yeah, I find it challenging, and actually, on a lot of issues, I really care about. Sometimes things like the environment, I find that they're closer to what I think about things than mm-hmm. some of the people in my in groups. Right. But I, I don't actually think of them in these out group terms, and in fact, I haven't hid anything of myself from them. When I did a presentation on this book, they came, and they were the ones to mainly comment about it and like it. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I think maybe there's different times in life. Maybe if I, maybe I don't want my younger children to mix with anybody who could give them any kind of worldview. At the same time, boy, moving a little bit outward has um, probably increased my faith. If anything, it's not taken away from it. That's for sure. And um, that's been good. Yeah. You know, you know, um, I, I think that's a really, really helpful, um, uh, story and i think what you're describing there is you've you are a part of multiple different in groups mm-hmm. and some of the people who were in in some of your groups would be considered outsiders or strangers yeah. in other mm-hmm. parts of your groups but that yeah. doesn't mean that they're less in where they are and you are in those groups yeah. does that sound right oh yeah yeah and i can see how that is uh how it's, it's, it's impossible not to have these kinds of groups where some people are in and some mm-hmm. people are strangers. If we had yeah. a group where everybody was equally part of the group, 
then it's meaningless and it and it's too broad to have any impact on anybody really. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can think about, you know, so Dave and I are both pastors, you know, theologians and so we we think about churches, but you know, a church that has is so tightly knit and the boundaries are so tight um it is so dysfunctional because everybody is an outsider. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if you have a church where it doesn't matter what you believe or how you behave or your attitude yeah, about anything, a universalist church, yeah. a completely everybody is every and, and there's <clears throat> tolerance for absolutely everybody and everything. Well, that's a that's a meaningless church as well, and so because yeah. there's nothing to hold anyone together. Yeah, and so it's finding this middle ground that is really difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Like if I tell members of my family, "I love you," hear that family. If I tell them that, <laughs> they're not within earshot. But if I if I tell them that, that's very different than saying, "Well, I love all families." Yeah, you know, there is a boundary. They are my family, and they're different than these others. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and we can't function without some of these communities because that's how we develop norms. And yet, at the same time, I think those boundaries have to be somewhat permeable. And I think that's different for different people. You know, one, one ex- mm, another mm. example that I encountered when I, I did a master of education administration before I went into sociology, and I never really did want to be a high school principal. Which Back I'm in the not. dark ages, huh? Back in the yeah. dark age. But we, they had this, it was at University of Tennessee Chattanooga, and they had this um, new course in the curriculum that was mandated that was called multiculturalism. No one knew it was mm-hmm. going to be pretty good. And the the professor, my memory is, was a retired high school principal, and he's very good. But he invited all of us to invite a member of our religious community, you know, it's a state university, for a panel discussion. And we had people from um, like Lakota uh, Indian, Native Mm. American, spirit worship of some sort. We had a person who was Sikh, he wore a turban. We had Seventh-day Adventists. We had a liberal Jew. We had Southern Baptist. And then we brought a representative from um, Covenant College's Bible department. But what I only noticed in retrospect, after I started thinking about the stranger stuff, is what happened when we did that? And I think we, the Presbyterians, were the most guilty. Is I don't think we listened to anybody Mm. except Mm. to counter what they were saying, at least in our minds. Because I remember when there was a break, because it was a big panel, a break, we went and huddled by our own hero, like, oh, that was a good point. That really showed the, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the spirit worshiper where he yeah, was. Right. And I thought in retrospect, wow, what a way to not learn anything. Because to listen and to learn and to find some common ground isn't to, to give up my distinctives, but it's uh-huh. actually just someone that I, that I care about them. You actually can't care about someone without being willing to listen and yeah. take them seriously. And so... Yeah, and and be influenced and therefore grow and sanctified. But that that that's a small circle, isn't it? Of people that it is. Yeah, it is. Well, and I, th- I think maybe the some of the danger that you're talking about, and I, I notice this in some ways um, with just the influence of popular culture, even on my own children as they're teenagers, and I'm listening to them talk. Because on the one hand, I delight that they've picked up some of what I'm trying to get at with this idea of the stranger, and I think that generation is generally way less rulesy based and way more open to simply being kind to people that haven't traditionally fit in our mm-hmm. religious communities. And at the same time, I think sometimes the worldview opens up so much that it's very difficult to have very many sort of moral or cultural distinctives in terms of things we stay away from or things we bridge over to. Again, there's something I really like about 
the move in that direction. And there's something that gives me great hesitation about the move in that direction. Hmm. It's attention. How do we hold it in tension? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I was, uh, I'm doing an illustration tomorrow in my sermon about um, the, uh, the hippie movement where uh, all you need is love, you know, peace, love, brother. And, and, and yeah. they're defining principles there about drugs and partying and um, the need for wide open acceptance. Uh, and I'm using the, the, a documentary uh, that I saw about Joe Cocker, who then he says that at the beginning of the tour, everyone is peace and love, man. At the end of the tour, they're all at each other's throats. They want to kill each other. Um, yeah, because it's all platitudes, you know, and yeah. and, <laughs> and it, it's just like it's, it's just another idealism that people are, are gravitating towards. But uh, yeah, all you yeah. need is love, but you don't have it. Um, yeah. what, do you, what do you do with that? Right. You need you need right. you need Jesus. You need God to speak. And uh, it's just fascinating how these groups can so quickly materialize, um, how quickly you can identify stranger um, and how quickly uh, there's something in us that needs that. Um, it's, it's, it's provocative for sure. And then you add the scapegoat piece, which I, I really, that was my favorite part of the book is, um, uh, the need to, to find a a criminal, you know, let's be united around a common enemy so we can further identify ourselves and put boundaries in place for our society, our group, and let's crucify this person, you know? Oh, that, that for me, um, was a big eye opener. My dad uh, suggested that he um, he's much like you two. He uh, has a couple of MDivs and uh, I think a THM and he's retired. And so he was sort of my theologian in residence that I could say, Hey, find me something on this if you would. And it was mm-hmm. actually a great part of our relationship, but he helped me find this um, stuff on Rene Girard. And it was very difficult for me to understand at first and very absorbing but I think in some ways, what I what I finally came up with in the book that makes sense to me is when I listen to us, we say things like, um, my identity is in Christ alone. It's in Jesus alone. Okay, that's good. What in the world does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the material from Gerard and the scapegoat helped me to understand that. You know, that basically what that means is I don't need the outgroup focus. Yeah. For my identity, it means that, you know, as my wagon is hitched to Jesus and I'm sort of inseparable, then the one who was the scapegoat to end the need for scapegoating others is the source of identity. And that, quite frankly, should free me to mm-hmm. love the person who I oppose. Now, it's all easy for me to talk about this. I'm writing a book and it all may even make it look like I'm so great with strangers. But boy, does it live in me. Like sure. I noticed in my own classes, I have students that I really like, mostly because they share my own high opinion of myself. Yeah. Um, or they're some you know, way a, a reflection of you, right? <laughs> you have it in uh, as yeah. ministers, I'm sure. There are Absolutely. people that just, you know, they like that. And I also have students sometimes that are difficult, that take positions on something like race that I actually kind of find of, kind of, find of egregious or even rude. Uh-huh. And boy, it's so easy for me to even just in my private thinking, scapegoat them. Boy, if I were just rid of them, right. I can't wait till Mister till they're gone. So what are you going to do? Live a life with only the people that worship at your professorial feet? That is not the point. And so I've been challenged by my own book to look at students that I find difficult. I'm sure students have the same thing with me, uh, that I find difficult and to say, you know, I am going to not break relationship with this student over this. I, I liked what you said in your introduction to your, you know, podcast website about not taking yourself too seriously. That's part of it. So mm-hmm. I can, 
you know, I can uh, laugh with and enjoy and find some of the better things in a student that allow me to stay in relationship. And then I'm not just loving the ones who love me, which is easy, as it says in the scripture. Mm. But I, I, I'm actually seeking out something to say, you know, my, my goal can't be for you not to be a member of our community because you must be a member of our community. Otherwise, right. it is our community. We can't only have people like me in our community. That's not a community. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yeah. And I, and I think that um, I would say that we that's part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is to say, um, if I if I really seek to understand somebody's view on race that I disagree with, for example, um, and I really get down into the to the the grit of what they're thinking, um, I can find places of commonality and then and find places where I say, oh, this is where I think we differ. Yeah, let's talk about that um, instead of just uh, drawing the battle lines, right? And and yeah. let's just you you fit over there and I fit over here. Um, yeah, and you're right. Like if I if if I'm the, the, the criminal, right, I'm the mm -hmm. one who needs judgment and Jesus yeah. is my scapegoat. He's, he's my innocent replacement and, but he yeah. is the scapegoat and he, he paid for all this. Then it really does yeah. free me to say, Hey, I'm a beggar who has found the banquet table of the King. And, yeah. and so are you let's, let's go mm -hmm. there together. Um, oh, yeah. and so the gospel really is power against that, that notion to scapegoat, but it, it's, it is interesting. I think we probably do it every day. We're just so naturally, you know, we, we sin every day in thought, word, and deed. And I think the tribalism, yeah. the stranger making, the scapegoating, I think happens as part of that, that problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it is something. And I, I think even in writing a book about strangers, I, I get a little fearful sometimes. Like, should I give a book to that person? Should I do something on the book here? Because the fear is that we so easily exclude people like if they don't share our view of who should be the strangers. Um, you've interviewed yeah. Carolyn Custis James. She actually talks about not taking positions on certain issues because people will simply be, oh, you're one of them, not one of us. Right. And so she doesn't take public positions on things. And I've learned so much from her. She's great, by the way. Um, and I, I think that's a very difficult sort of part of all this is just, uh, sorry, what was your last point? Say it again. Oh, just how it's a natural part of our, of every day that uh, we're, we're strangering folks, we're, we're tribalizing folks, we're uh, scapegoating people and really the gospel speaks to all of that yeah it really does oh what yeah and that reminded me what i was going to say is you know for example my wife is a guidance counselor she's head of guidance at chattanooga christian and as you can imagine she deals with all kinds of people in all kinds of very private ways that she doesn't ever tell me about but she deals with people who fall into the category of sexual minorities and a lot of times the problems they face are the absolute wrath of people in the christian community against them and their children. But my wife is their counselor and she cannot act that way toward them. Mm. She has to show them that you are here and I am your advocate and I care about you. And how can we, how can I help you? Yeah, That's been a real testimony to me as well. And, and maybe to extend that, and these are tricky areas. I realize sure. this. I teach a course called Men, Women, and Society. It's a, it's a gender course. And those are difficult to thing, things to teach in any Christian context because of the strong feelings on very many sides of those. Yeah. But I get concerned. I actually don't know a whole lot about transgender people. My wife knows more than me because she deals with these things and I have colleagues who do. But I get concerned that our solution to something like transgender people will be, well, they can't be near us. They can't be with us. Is that an issue? Sure it is. Can we talk about it? Sure we can. 
But at the end of the day, it's hard for me to match the Jesus who, you know, parts the crowd to be with the ceremonially unclean woman with the issue of blood or who mm-hmm. goes to Zacchaeus, who's just a total pariah in his community for whatever reason, or the woman of any of these stories. It's always drawing in. And I came across this thing. Um, it's, it's somewhere toward the end of the book, maybe in the hospitality chapter. And it's from um, Miroslav Volf. You probably know the theologian Miroslav Volf. Sure. I can't remember offhand exactly what book, just as we're speaking here. But he points out that um, holiness doesn't come through sort of pushing others away. But with Jesus, he's always going to people. And the holiness actually sort of is increased or happens to them in that encounter. Mm-hmm. And we actually kind of conceptualize holiness as, well, I'll stay away from them. But that's not the pattern that Jesus gives us, is if we just keep all those people away and maybe talk badly about them, then we will be a holy group. That's actually almost the inverse of holiness. Mm-hmm. It's the rejection of that which God loves very greatly. And it's a ch- we all have our orthodoxies, and it's a challenge, I think, for us, no matter what part of the Christian spectrum we're on, mm-hmm. um, liberal, conservative, orthodox, you know, whatever. Um, but boy, you know, yeah. that is a challenge, is to seek holiness, being with others, not pushing them away. And in some ways, I feel like it's an old man's game. What, what I mean by that is, you know, when you're in your 40s and you're transitioning, kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and you're getting more comfortable with yourself and who you are and what you're good at and what you're bad at, and, yeah. and that's okay. You're comfortable in your own skin. Um, and, uh, and you've been believing something for a long time, and you, you've processed things a lot. You know, it, mm-hmm. you have a greater freedom to enter in, I think, to, uh, to other tribes or to, another, to, those, to those sticky places than when you're young and in, you're easily influenced and you're not really sure. You're, you're constantly trying to validate yourself and all those insecurities. Yeah. Um, I think it's harder for yeah. an early age bracket. I think you're right. Do you think maybe that's because um, identity becomes a little more settled? Because, if, mm-hmm. you know, if we create out groups, you know, I am because they're not. Well, I'm 54 years old. Yes, I remember my 40s. Um, and I'm 54 years old. And so I'm pretty settled in a lot of my identities. Now, that could change, right? right. You know, things happen. and But, you know, I'm married to a wife who will be married 30 years this coming uh, May 8th. 30 right. years. That's a lot of settledness. That's a lot of um, yeah. identity that's been built. And I have children and I've been in my workplace a long time. And I think that gives me a lot of maybe freedom to, mm-hmm. in a sense, relax in that identity and not to feel threatened that simply right. loving these other people is mm-hmm. going to somehow take away. Um, like you said, it can be good and bad, right? It just depends on how. And yeah. yeah, I think it's and probably, the lot. I, yeah, I think it's, it's probably that, but also. As you get old, how can I say, when you're, when you're really young, you have your whole life ahead of you to mm-hmm. make an identity and to yeah. choose particular communities. So when you said that you've been married for a long time, Dave and I both have been uh, married to our wives for quite some time as well. And mm-hmm. so, but at the beginning of our marriage um, or at the beginning of a career or at the beginning of life, uh, you're still making an identity. It's, part of it is you're discovering, I'm discovering what, who God made me to be, but also I can look back and I have made a whole bunch of decisions that have created my identity. And so identity can be very plastic early on, even for the Mm -hmm. wisest of us. But then as we get older, 
that identity becomes more written in stone, so to speak. You know, yeah. uh, my degree and my uh, uh, resume is is history, and there's nothing that can change that. And I, I can create right. a different narrative to explain it, but I kind of have the narrative in my mind. And, and until something really, really massive comes to push me off that narrative, that's going to be kind of my identity. Um, yeah. And I have fewer choices in the future. You know, my identity is not an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Um, Maybe at one point it could have been, or maybe I thought it might have been. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it never would have been. But, you know. Maybe in curling. <laughs> yeah. I, in, uh, um, I don't know what it could possibly be. <laughs> you can be with the broom sweeping the. But, well, Jerry, but, Jerry Seinfeld does this monologue about um, the luge where he says you can take any guy off the street, put him on the skeleton luge, and it'd be exactly the same. And he calls it the involuntary <laughs> luge. <laughs> Which is totally Hanging false, on for dear life. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the idea. I heard someone say one time in the Olympics that they should, uh, for every event, they should just uh, pull a random person from the audience to come and compete just so that the rest the of us watching, we can see the contrast. And that's, you know, the luge, <laughs> I'm sure, takes an enormous amount of effort and yeah. dedication. You have to steer it. To get to where uh -huh. they are. But as I watch it, I think, I could do that. I, could I lay, know I could. I could lay down and risk my life. I could lay down yeah. and risk my life. I know that I couldn't, but it sure seems like I could. And then, yeah. you know, this right. this lady who's who's jumping over hurdles. Just how good is she? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I she's can't really good. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, yeah. I know yeah. she's really good. Yeah. I want to see an average yeah. lady come down and try yeah. it, so and I can fall say, down a few times. Right. Oh yeah. wow, that's impressive. Anyway, sorry. That's and you're a totally thinking, different you're, issue. You're thinking. You're thinking. I've had hurdles in my life. That's right. I've had hurdles. I know how to jump. Hey, we've got bonus episodes for you. You asked for them, we got them. Yep, more Hopper goodness. Bonus episodes that are only for our Patreon subscribers. We're a little bit freer to tell stories that we don't really want out there in the public. It's like, I don't know, the Hopper podcast after dark. Oh, yeah, like the time we went to see the Rock Hard Willie Band. You've said too much already. <laughs> okay, it's easy. Just touch or swipe the cover art on the Hopper podcast on your podcasting app, and you'll find show notes. Follow the link there and sign up to give us a little bit of money each month, $5, $10, $20. At any level, you'll get immediate access to all our bonus episodes. We'll send you a special link to a new private podcast feed, and you'll get all the bonus episodes on your phone automatically. We love our Patreon supporters, and we treat them right. You know who you are. Thank you so much. You can become a Hopper Podcast Insider today. Dave, I have... Uh um, run across a few news stories that I want to alert you of in case you haven't. They've been smaller and they haven't gotten the press that they needed to. Yeah, okay. Um, one of them, back, uh, in February of this year, um, in Germany, there was a newspaper critic, um, uh, a theater critic, that went to the theater and gave a negative review to a particular play, a musical uh -huh. that was being put on um, in okay. Hanover, Germany. And Which is his job. That's his, that's his okay. job. All right. um, um, and he, he or she, she, I think, um, gave a negative review. Sometime later, uh -huh. she went back to the theater to, to see the next. Um, the next one was a ballet, I think. Okay. And uh, the, um, the person in charge of the theater recognized her. This man recognized her. Yeah, that he had that that she had given the the previous bad review a bad review, came up and pulled came up to her yeah pulled out dog feces and smeared it on her face 
Wow. In the theater. She was coming to see the next, the ballet. Uh-huh. And I'm sure all dressed okay. up and ready to- Okay, pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pause. There, that's did, the story. Okay, did this guy- Yeah. Keep dog feces around just in case, or did he know that they were going to be there that night and he brought it? That's for that a good occasion? question. I don't know for sure. I think he knew that she was going to be there. Okay, because the, yeah, the first scenario is quite disturbing. Yeah, like on the off chance that I see this woman again, I'm going to have dog no, no, feces no. ready. No, no, no. He had a go. paper bag uh-huh. with the dog feces, and he came up, smeared her face with the contents, and then he took off through the foyer. The packed foyer uh-huh. to to take yeah to take off. He has been arrested, I think. Yeah, I think that that falls under assault, right? Yes, for sure, <laughs> for sure. That is pretty bad. I'm, so what he has said is that she has been giving negative reviews uh, when other people really like the play, uh-huh. but then they're losing money, and so he's going to lose his job anyway. And so this was his way of of uh, bowing out. It back to her. Yeah. Well, bowing out. <laughs> I, okay. Um, Tell me. Do you think it's wrong to um, to throw poop at someone's house? Uh, is it wrong? <laughs> I, I, at the very least, it's foolish. Okay. I think it's I think it's immoral. Um, okay. Yeah. But is it illegal? Oh, is it illegal? I don't know. I'd have to add. I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know either. I don't know. So you think it's immoral? I don't think it's. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty gross. I think that's that's um, intruding upon someone's property with. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a weird discussion, isn't it? It is a weird discussion. Yeah. It would depend. See, I'm thinking about all kinds of. You know, what it, uh, is it immoral? Well, I don't want people throwing poop at my house. Of course, you don't and, want and, it. And at least by the golden rule, I would say then I should not be throwing poop at other people's house. Exactly. Yes, right? I hear you. I hear you there. Okay. Um, could there be a reason or could there be, what if it's, you know, uh, an enormous amount? What if it's, I I don't know. There's, I think that there could be some, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And somewhere in the law, how many turds are allowed to be thrown? (laughs) Right, yeah. And is it a brick house or is it a vinyl-sided house? Those things, is it during the rain or not? Is it, you know, what is the purpose of it? Is it that, uh, you know, you keep uh, letting your dog poop in my yard and I'm going to take this poop and I have told you many, many, many times Uh the police won't uh do anything about it. So I'm taking your own dog turd off of my front porch and throwing it at your house. I mean, Uh uh that seems to be different than maybe some other scenarios, you know. Uh, Anyway, I I don't know exactly what to... Uh, yeah, you're saying it's immoral, and well, hmm. you know what? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, do you have a guilty conscience here? I don't, um, you I need don't. to confess something. Dave? I don't have anything to confess. I don't. I don't fool around poop, man. That's gross. It is. That's gross. Yeah, that's really gross. Um, the, boy, I just thought of like ten different topics that should, we're not even going to put in the hopper because uh, they can't they can't be discussed. <laughs> oh, is that right? But, yeah. Um, but, but Too sensitive even for the hopper. Yeah, you can't, not even a bonus episode, but oh, uh, well, maybe, 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 maybe a one bonus day, episode. maybe one day, but um, you, this reminds me of the, the guy who uh, was a principal and he pooped on the, the football field. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was, uh, they, someone kept mysteriously pooping, Yeah, I think on the football field. Okay. Uh, I could. This is. I'm not looking at any information in front of me, so sure, I, I sure, could sure. have this wrong. Yeah. But uh, people, were, it was like a mystery, and then they finally got like a hidden camera set up, and it was the principal. Yeah. And he was pooping each morning, um, and it, making a statement, I guess. Wow. 
and he got fired and uh, I don't know if he was arrested or what, but you know, it, it's, it is a noxious, I mean, it, it's, it's waste, right? I mean, yeah, it, there it is, carries disease. There is so something. That, in that way it's immoral, right? Yeah. I mean. Well, okay. It, I think motivation has something to do here, right? Uh-huh. There's, there's something going on there, but yeah. He probably had a legitimate gripe. Let's give him that. I mean, sure. the, the school system is a wreck, right? Yeah. He probably had legitimate gripes. Sure. But to poop, to, uh, okay, so where is he pooping? Uh, like on the, like just somewhere on school property, right? Okay. Somewhere, where somewhere on school property. To say that he's pooping <laughs> on a field somewhere where it's, you know, there's something. No, it's like, it's like he's making a point. Yeah. It, he wasn't just like pooping outside. Okay. You know, like it, your kid has to pee, you pull over and he pees on the side of the road. I don't think that's immoral. Okay. Right? I mean, yeah. it's, it, you don't want people putting their waste in, in nature. Yeah. When you go backpacking, you should be a responsible person. <laughs> Part of backpacking etiquette, yeah. Yeah. camping etiquette, is you pack your poo out. Yeah. You don't want it out there in the woods, right? A lot of people go to the same place. There's poop everywhere. Yeah, sure. That's disgusting. And and it, it's, yeah, like I said, it carries okay, disease. What if, what if you're out in the middle of nowhere in the woods? And you got to poop? Yeah. Yeah, take a poop. I, it, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, so okay, so there yeah. is okay, so then there. If that's fine, and this is not no, okay, fine, hold on. Let me. Then, let me then there's, okay, here's the caveat. We, how close can okay. you get? Well, if there's a bathroom yeah. that you can use and you won't use it. Oh, now that's different. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay, with you. that's I'm different. With you. Yep, yep. But if 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 you got to go, yeah, and there's nowhere to go, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, your body's going to take over. I hear you. Okay. Yeah. That's different. Okay. Than every time I come to school, I poop on school property because right. I'm making a point. Right, right, right. You're or holding it until you get. I can't to... stand my neighbor, and I pooped on this porch. Yeah. You know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think there's definitely a moral piece to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, there's a moral piece to that. <laughs> but it's not. Oh, it's. But it's. Uh, this I, is I think... ridiculous. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> there's. A, there's uh, <laughs> the, uh, the hard and fast rules of. If you if we were to try to come up with a set of rules as to uh-huh. when is it ridiculous, right, or when is it uh, the parameters of pooping, the 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 more the parameter the moral parameters of pooping yeah. in, in particular locations, yeah. clearly right, going and pooping in somebody's cereal bowl, you know, is that's yeah. a, and then putting it back into the in the cupboard, like okay, right. that's a that is a statement, yeah, that is a statement, and and a really that's immoral, okay, but. Then, and I think clearly, if you're out backpacking, you mm-hmm. know, for days at a time, there's no toilet. You're just out there backpacking, right? And you're you you you're gonna go behind a tree or something, right? I think clearly that is fine. Yeah. Okay. Then, how many? You know, what are the, what is the gradation? He's got a slidey bar back and forth between those things, and haven't and you know, man, it's hard to tell. You know, uh, I had a friend who was smearing uh, it on somebody's face, though. Yeah, that, that's oh, man. Come that's on, that's too much. Anyway, you got a friend. They were uh, they were in India. Yeah, and they said that people they would see them pull over. Yeah, uh, get out of their car. Yeah, drop their their trousers and poop yep. in their yard, just because. They could, or yeah. they, it yeah. was time to poop, and so they pulled over and pooped. Yep. It didn't matter where they were. Yeah, and I said, "What? I mean, that is crazy." Yeah, like, <laughs> okay, that's so that's disgusting, man. It's like <clears throat> public sanitation. Okay, right? so disgusting is different than immoral. Um, you know, so for them, it, apparently, they they have no problem with that. Yeah, I hear maybe, you. Maybe, maybe. I have been, I, you know, I've done a lot of training for marathons. I've done lots of 20-mile runs. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you try to prepare as well as you can, but sometimes there's a code brown uh-huh. as you're out running. Have you pooped in your pants? Uh, no. not okay. Well, not not in a long, long time. I've had... <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember one time when I was a teenager, I had a blow. I was probably thirteen. I mean, while you're running, you're in your no. you're in your little running shorts, and no. you, you you know, no, you have a code brown. I got a code brown. Uh huh. And there are times when I'm like, I, I don't. There's there's no place close, and I yeah. have gone uh, in people's yards. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh huh. It and I. When I run the long runs like that, I carry toilet paper with me uh-huh. in a Ziploc bag. Yeah. And I rarely use it. But if I need to use it, uh-huh. I'm happy to have it with me. And But it happens. It absolutely happens. What, why aren't there like porta johns along the way? There's very few porta johns. Why not? They prepare for these things forever. I you mean, mean a race? Yeah, like a marathon? Oh, you're talking about never happened in a race. I've oh, never talk- done this oh, in a race. Oh, you're talking about you're, you ran 20 miles from your house. Yeah. And you, got to, you suddenly had to poo. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, yeah, run, running um, yeah, what, a race is not. Uh, most of my I runs got, have not yeah. been in a race. Nature calls. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. But that and, and that's true for a lot of runners. And actually, in the running community, um, I don't know about other communities that would be uh-huh. analogous. But in the running community, oh yeah, there's discussion. I listen, I listen to podcasts, and sometimes there'll be a whole segment about okay, where do you poop when you have to poop and you're out in the middle of nowhere? It depends right. on where you are. If you're in the city, there's these yeah. places. And I if learned you're all this the, from Forrest Gump. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. If I yeah. needed to, you know, okay, so I went. It happens. Yeah. It happens. And so to say yeah, that you Yeah, it's a bumper sticker. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, is that immoral? I, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I think, I think you might have to apologize to somebody. Maybe if yeah, I like, got to find somebody. Yeah, hey, sorry. Uh, yeah, some guy comes out. What the heck are you doing? I'm yeah, so yeah. sorry. I, I, you know, I was running and I, I couldn't help it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, who's going to, you know, someone still might get upset about that, but come on. Yeah. Well, I honestly, no one has ever, as best I can tell, uh-huh. no one's ever seen me do it. But it's pro- I've probably done it 20 times <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's H- over Have you that's seen these decades, little personal tents? Personal tents? There's little personal porta johns that you can carry around that pop up, like a little pop-up tent that you can then poop in privacy if you're out in the middle of nowhere. I've never seen that before. Yep. That seems to me ridiculous. Yep. Oh, I don't, I don't own one, but, uh, and it's like yeah. a little bucket, Yeah, yeah. you know, Yeah. and, uh, some of them are only come up to like your waist. Okay. <laughs> so it's just covering the, yeah. you know, from your waist down where you're sitting on this little bucket. Yeah. Um, which looks really funny. Okay. You know, uh, it's the equivalent of like a woman in a big dress squatting down and. Right, like, right, right. We all know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's weird. That's really weird. Fourth of July. Uh, I was in DC. Mm-hmm. And my my cousin saw this. I did not see this, but um, around the monument, out yeah. on, the, on the lawn, everyone's yeah. waiting for fireworks. Lots of people, lots yeah. of Porta Johns, long lines. Sure. Uh, some people can't wait. Yeah. And where are they going to go? Yeah. I mean, it's all open. You know, you, yeah. you turn the corner. He said he, he he walked around the corner, and there was like a woman there pooping. Yep. In front of everybody. You know, like man, when you got to go, you got to go. I guess when you got to but... go, you got to go. I, I work in uh, hospice care in a rural area, and so I drive to people's homes, and I, it, it is common for me to drive an hour to somebody's house uh-huh. to go see them. And for forty-five minutes of that, I'm not passing any stores. Right. It's farm after farm after farm you need to after think ahead. farm. I try to think ahead, and you need a NASA diaper. And so I actually have a little... Uh, um, a pooper bucket. So poop has not been an issue. Peeing. Sure. Peeing. Um, and so like a urinal, um, you know, a, uh-huh. like a, I know a container, uh, yep. Yep. Um, you know, and so I have that. And uh, one of my favorite places to do... I mean, I often... Your favorite places? This yeah. Is getting no, no, no. It's this... Uh-huh. 
because otherwise you can't drink. If I drink anything, and then okay, I've yeah. got to go, you know. Right. And so then is but uh, churches um, typically have empty parking lots, uh-huh. and so and there's nobody around, and so yeah. that usually works pretty well. I'll go in there and like uh, go, go to a tree, go there, or maybe go out to a tree or something, and uh-huh. yeah. And I've talked to my my uh, other staff members, and they do this at men and women both. That you yeah. know. Uh, you try not to do that. I try not to do that. Don't do that every week, but yeah. uh, it happens. It absolutely happens. Well, have you heard the news story about the uh, Dave Matthews bus going over a bridge? I have no idea what you're talking so, about. Uh, okay, so a tour bus is like a big charter bus. And, and <coughs> yeah. It, and they have bathrooms in them, right? Yeah. And out on the highway, they yeah. will just empty these bathrooms. They just dump them out. Really? On the street. I yeah. didn't know that. So they were crossing over some bridge. Yeah. And the bus... Uh, the driver let go of the the brown water there and it went off the street and there was a boat below Mm -hmm. and people got showered with sewage from the Dave Matthews band Hmm. and they had to apologize to them and oh yeah yeah. I mean that's disgusting man yeah that's awful so stuff like that happens but um it seems to me if uh if if you have a porta john on a bus then there should be an appropriate way to empty it instead of just dumping it somewhere oh man for sure yeah. We we need to treat our sewage, you know, as best we can. Yeah. I, I You know what? Um, I think that's enough sewage and poop for me right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm all pooped out. <laughs> you should not have said that. It's a dad joke. Thanks for listening to the Hopper Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't. You can write or call us. Just tap or swipe on the purple Hopper Podcast cover art in your podcasting app and find the show notes for ways to suggest a topic for the Hopper or tell us a funny story. Or go to thehopperpodcast.org. Try to keep it clean. And if you do, we'll probably feature you in an upcoming episode. Special thanks this week go to fecal transplant doctors everywhere. They're, they're performing an important duty. Thank you for your service. It's, and an, it's an important duty. It's, it's an important duty. <laughs> Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, join our Facebook group for more Hopper goodness. You can also join our Patreon for our bonus episodes. Uh, Willie, what's the lesson for this week's episode? Yeah, the, the lesson this week is The Phantom Menace really is the best movie of all time. Yeah, that's no. no did I, did really, I miss it? No.